Ephesians chapter number 4. And I want you to begin reading in verse number 22 with me, if you would, please. Ephesians 4, verse number 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust. You know that word there, deceitful? It means lying. Pretending. Pretending to be good, pretending to be helpful. He says in verse 23, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then Paul is telling the church here at Ephesus, and I believe the Holy Spirit is going to give this to us today as well for our edification, for our learning. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that ye may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In verse number 30, Paul goes on to say this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, he says, be put away. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The messages that I've preached this month, beginning of this new year, they've been to the Christian. They've not been evangelistic messages where it's just a salvation message, although uh, I believe I've tried with the Lord's help to be sure to make sure that we are including that in our messages but today's message is for the believer. Paul is writing the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. He's writing this to the Christian. He's writing this to the person that has trusted Christ as their Savior. And I bring our attention to verse number 27 this morning to our text verse that reads this. Paul is saying to the Christian, neither Give place to the devil. What he's saying is this, there's no place for Satan in our lives. You know, we may invite many of people into our homes or many of people into our lives, but I don't think any of us, or I would hope, there's not a person here in this room today that'd be interested in inviting Satan into your life. I would hope that that would never be your intention to say, I want to do something that would invite Satan into my life. Because Satan comes and he seeks to destroy. Satan seeks to ruin. He seeks to wreak havoc. And he seeks to deceive. Paul is writing this to the church of Ephesus because many of us, without realizing it, give place to Satan. Paul is warning us here in Ephesians 
that there are certain actions that allow Satan to come in. I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, if you would, please. Matthew chapter number 16. Allow me, if you would, please, just by way of introduction, to go to a couple different passages of Scripture. Hold your place in Ephesians. We're going to be there for the remainder of the message here today. But we're going to be in several places to introduce this message. In Matthew chapter number 16, and beginning in verse number 21, Jesus is beginning to unfold. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to shed his blood. He's going to the cross. He's going to shed his blood because a payment needs to be made for all mankind. He's preparing his disciples for this event. And he says in verse number 21, for that time, uh, uh, for that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised again the third day. What he just said there is he's teaching them the gospel. He's getting ready to explain to them that he's come, he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to uh, be the payment for mankind, and, and he's going to rise again from the grave. What he was just doing there is he's telling the disciples, this is what it's all about. This is why I've come. This is why I've called you. And this is what's going to happen. He's revealing to the disciples God's will for his life. God had a plan. The reason Jesus Christ came to this earth was to be a payment for your sin. Not another reason. Him going to the cross was not a mistake or a mishap. It was the will of God. Because you and I needed to be redeemed. We could not save ourselves. We could not give enough, work enough, try enough to get salvation. Jesus Christ, the precious lamb, the born of a virgin, perfect, sinless, went to the cross and shed his blood. That blood was a payment for our sin. It was a perfect blood. It was presented on the altar there in heaven, the mercy seat. When God saw that, he accepted that as payment for sin. And then, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. And Jesus is just teaching his disciples this is what's happening. This is God's plan. But I want you to see what happens in verse number 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Could you imagine? Jesus, come here. Let me set you straight. This is what Peter's saying. I'm going to teach you a few things, Jesus. What you just said isn't going to happen, is what Peter's getting ready to tell Jesus. He says, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter said, over my dead body, is this going to happen? And Jesus said this to Peter. But he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He said, Peter, what you're doing, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking foolish. You know what Peter did? Peter gave place to Satan in his life. Peter's response, 
calls Satan a place. Turn with me to Luke, if you would please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third chapter, or third book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 22. Would you find verse number 31? Luke chapter 22. Beginning in verse number 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Here Jesus is saying to Peter, Satan is after you. He's looking to sift you, to shake you up. He's looking to destroy your life. He can't have your soul. He can't have your soul once you're saved. Jesus Christ, I saved you. You can't, he can't have your soul, but he can still come after your life. Matter of fact, I believe this is true. I've seen this happen. I believe this, that there's times that Satan could care less about a person until they become saved. And once they've trusted Christ as their Savior, Satan puts a mark. He does everything he can to destroy that person's life. He can't take their soul. But he can ruin their life. What he was saying is this, Peter, I'm praying for you. Satan is after you. He's looking to sift you as wheat. And I'm praying that you not give him a place in your life. Turn with me, if you would, to John, if you would please. The book of John. Just one book over. The eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. And would you go to verse number 44? The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 44. Jesus is speaking and he says this, ye are the father of the devil, or ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. So the desire of the old man is to do what Satan puts in your heart to do. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The natural desire of the human heart is to fulfill the lust of the devil, is to do the lust of the devil. Jesus says here, the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. What Satan will desire to do is Satan, Satan will deceive. Satan will lie. He'll get you to destroy your life believing that what he's saying is truth. But understand this. Anything that Satan says is a lie. It's a lie. He'll use anything he can to destroy you. 
We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, but on our way there, would you stop with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Find your way back to Ephesians, and on your way there, come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this verse, I want this verse to penetrate your heart. I want you to think upon this verse as we study Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Because Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Paul is writing to Christians. In the book of Ephesians, he's not writing to the lost. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, believers. In 2 Corinthians, he's not writing to the lost. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to believers. And he says this in verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Paul is helping us to understand Satan's after you. He's after you. He can't have your soul, but he wants to destroy your life. He's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for that crack. He's looking for that opportunity to get in. How does the devil get an advantage of us? He gets an advantage because he desires a place. He desires a place in your life. And Satan wants to travel with you. Satan wants to convince you of things. Satan wants you to believe things that he puts in your heart. He wants to believe things that he puts in your mind and he wants you to follow after those things because he knows if he can have a place, he can destroy you. Satan wants to do everything imaginable to get you to live a life much less than which God intended for you to be and live. Listen, if the person next to you is sleeping, wake them up now. Tell them they need this more than ever. I'm getting ready to preach to you something I believe that can help you. Discipline yourself to listen, please. Because Satan's goal is to get you to live your life being okay, living less than what God has for you. He'll lie. He'll deceive, and he'll get you to believe that that's a better choice. What God wants to bless and God wants to supply, Satan is going to do everything imaginable to get you to live a life much less than which God intended for you and I to live. He's cunning. Someone said not long ago to me, they said, boy, it just seems like Satan knows how to push my button. Satan knows exactly how to, to, to get to me. And I, my response was this, that's because he's had 6,000 years to practice. And he's good. He is probably the most cunning enemy you'll ever have. He's watched, he's looked, he's formulated a plan, and he wants to destroy you.
He wants to rip your heart out. He wants to rip your life up. He wants to do everything he can to get you to a place where you live a life much less than the one God intended for you to live. Did you find your place in Ephesians again? How many of you have ever been to a doctor's office where they give you a clipboard and on that clipboard there's like a whole book that you have to check off? Did you ever do this? Did you ever do that? Did you ever have this? Have you ever had that? Several months ago, I had some pain. I thought maybe I had a kidney stone. I went to the hospital, and it wasn't that. And they began to run all kinds of tests. And I went to every doctor you could think of for different tests. And every doctor I went to, they gave me a clipboard. And so I wised up. I just copied one, and I just gave them the copy. I've already checked that. No, we have to have our own. Give me a break. I'd sit there. Check, check, check. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? Checking that list to see if I was sick, to see if there was a problem, to see if I was healthy. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to take a pen, and I want you to check today. We're going to go through six or seven things if Lord allows us here this morning, and I want you to check these things in your life. Because Satan desires to destroy you. He desires to get in. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 27, neither give place to the devil. So my question for you today is this. Is there any area in your life that you're giving place to Satan? And we don't have to wonder what those are. Thankful the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to pen these lists down, and I just want us to check these things. Take a piece of paper, take a pen, use the margins of your Bible. I want you to take this test today, please. If you've really been born again, if you've been saved, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if that was a sincere decision you made in your life, I want you to know something this morning. You're still not finished with the devil. And he's not finished with you. No, this is not going to be one of those spooky messages about Satan and about hell and scaring you into anything. No, this is about you understanding and waking up to understand that Satan is still after you. He still wants to destroy you. There's an enemy that considers you useless. And he wants your life to be useless. And he does this by seeking to find a place in your life. He does this not because he hates you, but he hates your Savior. Please understand this. You're just something he uses to get to the person he hates. And that's the Savior. And Satan wants to bring reproach under the name of Jesus. Satan wants to bring reproach to the church that Jesus gave his life for. And how he does it is he gets in and finds a place and seeks to destroy the life of the believer. And so in your life, you bring reproach to the name of Jesus. You bring reproach to the church that Christ died and gave his life for. And when that happens, that pleases Satan. 
my prayer is that God help us not to be ignorant of the devices that Satan uses against us this morning. So if your paper, if your pen and the margins of your Bible, let's get down this list. And I want to see how we're doing this morning. In verse number 25, the Bible says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He tells us in verse number 24 to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And he gets to verse number 25 and he begins to speak of this lying. He begins to speak of how we, what we say and our intentions. And what Paul is telling us here in verse number 25 is if we do not speak the truth, we give the devil a place in our lives. Now this is something that every single human being will struggle with. There's often times that we like to take a situation and we frame the situation. We can take the truth, a little bit of the truth, and a little bit here and a little bit there, and we form an opinion or we form a statement or we form a conversation. And knowing that it's not all the truth, but as long as we have a little bit of the truth in it, and I would suggest to you this this morning, unless it's all truth, it's a lie. And Paul here is telling the church here at Ephesus, he says this, I want to warn you not to allow Satan a place in your life. But when a Christian comes to the place where they can't speak the truth, if they, if they lie, if they try to deceive, if they try to, to make themselves something that they're not, if they try to pretend, they try to make you believe someone is not so, uh, uh, someone's better than who they really are, they're speaking lies. And when a Christian gets to the place where they speak lies, the Bible says this, they're giving a door open to Satan. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if Christians always spoke the truth? I've heard it said before that honesty is the best policy. I would say that that statement is false. I don't believe it's the best policy. I believe this, honesty is the only policy. By saying it's the best policy, we're saying that there could be another way to speak. But the Bible here doesn't tell us that there's any other way to speak other than speaking truth. When we do anything to mess with the truth, if we do anything to change the truth, if we do anything to manipulate the truth, we then are opening the door and giving a place for Satan in our life. We have a rule in our home. If our bedroom door or bathroom door is shut, the kids are not allowed in. It's a pretty good policy, isn't it? We don't want them barging in on us. So if the door shut, they knock. They peek under the door, they do whatever they can, but they're not allowed to come in those rooms. But if the door is open, then we just invite them in. They can just come in and ask a question, whatever, whatever they need. But what's interesting with some of our kids, if the door is open that much, that means it's an invitation in. I mean, it could be that we tried to shut the door and it just didn't shut all the way. And if it's open just a little... That's the same thing as it being wide open. And that's the crack that Satan's looking for in your life. He's just looking for a place. He's just looking for an opportunity. 
He's looking for an area to get in because once he's in, he's going to seek to destroy. Once he's in, he's going to seek to wreak havoc. Once he's in, he's going to do anything he possibly can to destroy you. He's not going to be content with just speaking into that area, that one area that allowed him in. No, that one area that allowed him in gives him full access to everything else that's going on in your life. And when he has full access, he then seeks to destroy every single part of your life. That puppy I speak of often. We would buy these, puppies like to chew, and so we would buy our puppies toys and our puppy would just chew these toys up, I mean, within minutes. So my wife thought, well, I'll just go to the dollar store and buy these toys because she just chews them up. My thinking was different. I'm going to go buy an expensive toy because the expensive toys are probably made better, and that puppy can't destroy that toy. You know what I learned? A puppy can destroy a dollar toy or a $15 toy. It doesn't matter. And she gets that toy, and she starts chewing on its eyeball. Until the eyeballs are off. And then if the thing has a squeaker, she just goes after that squeaker till she gets that squeaker out. And all it takes is for a thread to start coming loose and she gets into that thing and before we know it, it happened this morning, I walked into our living room and it looked like it snowed in our living room and no, it was just stuffing everywhere. And she takes this big, fat, fluffy toy, and when she's finished with it, it's a thin piece of fabric. You would have never known what it was when she's done with it. And that's why I dislike my puppy. It reminds me of Satan. <laughs> because that's exactly what Satan wants to do with your life. He'll get in but he's not satisfied till he's ripped all the stuffing out. He's not satisfied till he's got everything out of your life. He'll get in one way, and then he won't stop. Paul says one way to open this door is through lying, honesty. I want you to see in verse number 26, the Bible goes on to say this, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here, somebody says this. See, the Bible says that I can be angry and sin not, and so I'm gonna be angry. But what he's talking about here is this uncontrolled anger, rage. And when a person has uncontrolled anger, when the person has rage, that person then is opening the place in their life for Satan to come in. More damage has been done, I believe, to homes. More damage has been done to God's work because of uncontrolled anger, probably than anything else. You see, in our world around us, there's a lot of things happen that ought to make us angry. It ought to. What happened in our schools uh, in Kentucky just recently, and I, I, I heard on the news, my wife was in the other room, and she said, what did they just say? And, and on the news, they said there's been already 12 either workplace um, uh, shootings or school shootings already this year. 
Because there's so much else going on in the news, they're not even making an emphasis on those. But just in the first 20-some days of this year, there's been 12 or so shootings. Innocent lives are being taken. That ought to make us angry. I watched on the news, there's a doctor up in Michigan that just got convicted, and maybe some of you have been following that. This doctor was convicted of molesting children. That ought to make us angry. We have a table out there of, of, a, of a baby being formed in the womb of a mother and for over the last 45 years because of a decision that was made in our Supreme Court in our country, over 60 million babies have been aborted. That ought to make us angry. There are things in life that ought to cause us to be angry. There are things in life that ought to, that ought to uh, uh, cause us to take action and do things. It ought to. God never intended for a Christian to stick his head in the sand and, and just live life that way. And, 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 and no, he, he invited us and commanded us to be a, a goer and a giver of the gospel. He commanded us to be a light and salt in a dark world. We're supposed to look at the things, the sinful things of this world. It ought to cause us to want to do something about it. What Paul is speaking of here is this uncontrolled anger. We can get angry at things that ought, we ought to get angry with, but we don't want to become what we hate and what we despise. And uncontrolled anger is becoming what we say we hate and what we despise. Anger is a, is, is, is a life it's like a current of water. Anger ought to flow. If, if it stays stagnant in our life, it can cause us bitterness. It can cause us problems. It can cause us issues. It ought to go slowly through our lives so that we can deal with it and we, we can deal with it properly so it doesn't stay stagnant. But it can't be a rushing current in our life because if it becomes a fast current, becomes a powerful current, becomes something that, that changes us and causes us to hurt all those around us and causes those not to want to get near us because of how quickly our anger is. Anger ought to be managed. Anger can be good, but uncontrolled anger always leaves a place for Satan to get in. And there are people that their anger is out of control. Listen to me, there's some of you here in this room that you can't even have a normal conversation as a husband and wife because your anger is out of control. You won't speak to each other. You won't communicate because you can't control your anger. That's sin. And when you behave that way, Christian, you are giving place for Satan in your life. You go into rage when someone tells you something you don't like. You go into rage when someone does something you, you don't like. You go into rage when someone takes or you feel offends you. You go into this rage that is uncontrolled anger. And when that is your behavior, what you've done is you've cracked that door and you've invited Satan in. And Satan will gladly walk through that door. Paul says this, let your anger not become sin. And he also does, says this, let not the sun go down on your wrath. You know what that means is, at the end of the day, let all accounts be settled. It would be a wonderful thing if we settled all accounts at the end of the day. 
Instead, we get up the next day and we've slept on it and we've tossed and we've turned and, and it's caused us to even get more bitter and more upset and we start plotting our day today because of the offense that happened yesterday when Paul says, get rid of it. Settle all offenses. Get it settled. Don't let it go down. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Finish it. Deal with it. Don't nurture that anger. Listen, some of us, if we're not careful, we stew on it. Do you ever sit there and think about somebody that they said or something they did? And the more you think about it, the more angry you get. And Satan says, yeah, and don't forget, they said this too. And you say, you're right. And they said this, but this is what they really meant. And you say, you are right. Because you've stewed on it and because it's uncontrolled and because you're allowing Satan weigh into your life, you are letting him deceive you and lie to you about a situation. And when you get up, your situation you're angry with doesn't even reflect the truth of the, the original offense. You've convinced yourself you've been wrong. You've convinced yourself you need to take justice. You've convinced yourself, and all you've done is you've left the door open for Satan to get in. And once Satan is in, he seeks to destroy you. He seeks to rip the stuffing out of you and leave you helpless. When we allow anger to be uncontrolled in our lives, we allow the devil a place in our lives. He goes on to say this in verse number 28. Are you with me still? Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good, that he may, that he may have to give to him that needeth. I want you to mark this down in your heart. Check this box. He says this. If you steal, you give way to Satan. Now, I, I like the context of what he's saying because I believe this, there's many ways to steal. For us, we think this, we go into a store, we like what we see, we put it in our pocket, we walk out, we've stolen you know, there's many, many ways that you steal. steal. Stealing is taking something that's not yours. You know, many people go to work, and every day they steal. No, you didn't walk home. You didn't go home. There's nothing in your car that belongs to your boss. There's nothing in your car that belongs to the company, but you're supposed to be there on time. You're supposed to work till a certain time, but you come in after you're supposed to be there. You leave before you're supposed to leave, and if that's your pattern, you've stolen. Many people there while they're working aren't working, but they receive a paycheck. I believe this, if you're hired to do a job and you don't do your job or you're not doing your job while you're being paid to do your job, you're stealing. It's getting quiet in here. You can steal the affection of someone that doesn't belong to you. You go to work and you flirt with someone that 
is there at your work and they're married and you're married and you begin to steal affection from someone. That affection doesn't belong to you. They're not supposed to give you affection. That affection belongs to their spouse. It doesn't belong to you. And when you take that affection, you're stealing. And you're giving way for Satan to come into your life. Taxes are coming up. I won't even get on that. There's many ways to steal. When you steal, you give the devil a place in your life. You let him in, and then he begins to do with you what he wants to do. Understanding this, church, please get this this morning. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. He's not satisfied just having a little bit. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Paul goes on to tell us this in verse number, number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You know, sometimes we see that and we just think, well, that just means maybe an off-color joke or a dirty joke. No, that word right there, that word uh, corrupt means rotten producing nothing good. And he said that rotten conversation, conversation that produces nothing good should not come out of the mouth of the believer because when it does, you've given place for Satan. Now listen to me, please. Because I believe this, myself included, this is the place that many Christians allow Satan to get in. No, you don't say, Satan, come on in. I want to hear what you have to say. But our corrupt communication, our rotten conversation, it leaves a door for Satan to come in. And the truth is this, because of our old nature... We like to listen on things that are going on. We like to talk about rotten things that are going on. But Christian, this morning, hear me please, if you get into the habit to listening, if you get into the habit of talking about rotten things, you are giving a place for Satan in your life. You're listening to problems. You know, there are people that have opinions about other people that they've never met. And the reason they have an opinion and maybe even a negative opinion about someone they've never met is because they've listened to gossip from someone else. If your conversation doesn't edify, then your conversation is corrupt. 
And listen to me, we're not care, care we're, we're, we're so casual. Listen to me, and I want to help you with this, please. I want to help you in your marriages. I want to help you in your relationships. Husbands and wives, this is for you as well. Listen, you bring that garbage home, and all you do is talk about what you're upset about at church, what you're set, upset about at work, what you're upset about with this other person. And a lot of times in relationships, it becomes corrupt. We, bar, we begin to talk about things that are unproductive. We begin to talk about people and that conversation is unproductive, we begin to gossip and begin to say things and we begin to convince ourselves it's okay because of the closeness of the relationship and what you've done is you've invited Satan in to that relationship and he's not satisfied with just you gossiping. He will destroy your relationship because you've invited him in. I have a habit in our home. I counsel a lot, and I hear a lot of things. And it probably just goes with the position I have. But I have a habit in my home. We don't talk about it. We have board meetings every month. When I come home from our board meeting, my wife never says to me, so what did you guys talk about? She sees my calendar. She gets my calendar. I, 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 there's no place I'm at that it's a secret for my wife. She sees my calendar every day. She sees who I have appointment with. She sees who I have phone calls with. My wife never says to me, so how did that go? What is their problem? I don't want to invite Satan into my marriage. I don't want to spew things that I'm privy to and hurt my wife. We don't eat people for dinner at our home. A church this size, to be honest with you, I deal with a lot of problems. A lot of problems. You couldn't sit one of my five children down and ask them about a specific person or problem in this church. You know why? Because I don't want corrupt communication to enter the ears of my children and give place for Satan. And there are Christian families that your conversation is constantly negative. It's constantly gossip. And you're at a place where your children hear all of it. And then you wonder, where's your joy and where's your peace? And maybe I've lost it. Where is it at? It's because you have invited Satan into your relationships, into your home. And he's now seeking to destroy you. I don't say this to scold you this morning. I say this to help us this morning. I say this because Paul says this, that we are to live in a way to we neither give place to the devil and we are so loose with our mouths. We are at the place where we think that our opinion matters. We're at a place where we don't like something, we just say it. If we don't like someone, we just say it. And you don't realize the relationship that you are hurting by your corrupt communication. You have said, Satan, enter in. 
He said, I don't never want Satan in my home. You brought him in with corrupt communication. I don't want Satan into the lives of my children. You brought him in with corrupt communication. You've given place to Satan. And there's some safeguards here that Paul says. He says our communication, it ought to do a couple things. The first thing your communication ought to do is our communication, our communication that we speak as a Christian, it ought to be used to edify. That means this. When I speak, I say things that build people up. Oh, I'm guilty of not doing that. Are you? Are you in the habit of saying positive things about people or are you constantly ripping people apart? You say, that's what the lost world does. That's what, that's what unbelievers do. No, that's what Christians do. You say, how do you know that? Because Paul is speaking to Christians. And he has to remind Christians, live life in such a way that your conversation doesn't invite Satan in. How do I keep that from happening? Edify, build up. You know, it would be something different for many of our homes if we got home and we, instead of 20 minutes on the car ride home, ripping this apart and ripping that apart and ripping this apart, we actually said, boy, so-and-so looked great today. And boy, so-and-so was encouraging today. And boy, that special was enjoyable. And boy, the music was enjoyable. And boy, that Sunday school teacher, I need to thank them. And boy, that piano player did a wonderful job today. And boy, that person I sat with next to, uh, in, in my seat, I, I, was, I was encouraged by them. And, and this is something positive. You know, it would change your homes if we edified and built up. He says this as well. He says the second safeguard is this, that every word, the things that we say, it ought to minister grace unto the hearers. You say, what does that mean? That means this, the person that leaves your conversation should leave better than when they started that conversation. There's conversations that we have at times where we leave spiritually dirty. When I get done preaching after two services, after I do all the things I do, boy, I get home and I want to get in the shower. I feel sweaty, I feel hot, I just feel a mess. After certain Sundays, somebody might want to go out to dinner, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to stink. They're going to smell me. They're going to, the waitress is going to, man, they're going to think, what in the world did you just get done doing? And they'd leave here thinking, this guy smells. I don't want to be offensive. And if we're not careful, that's the way people leave us after our communication. And Paul says, when people leave, you ought to administer grace. When they leave, they ought to feel better. When they leave, they ought to feel closer to Christ. When they leave, they ought to say, I can't wait one day to get to heaven because all of my conversations are going to be just like that. When they leave, they ought to see Jesus inside of you. But sometimes our conversation makes people leave not thinking about Jesus, but thinking about dirt and thinking about scum and thinking about awful things. And Paul says that your conversation, when you leave, that person that you just spoke with ought to leave saying, I want to know Jesus even greater. I want to know heaven heaven even more. I want to go back to that person because when I leave that person, I'm excited about what that person invested in me. Let me ask you this question this morning. Does your conversation take or does your conversation give? Does it take 
Does it give? I know people that quit their jobs because they can't take the gossip anymore. And unfortunately, the one that's gossiping is a Christian. I know people that get discouraged because they go to be encouraged and the conversation discourages them. I want to remind you, one day God in glory, he's going to call every, everything into light. There's going to be a judgment seat of Christ in every thought that you've ever had. Every word that's ever been spoken is going to be revealed and God is going to show it all. There's nothing that's going to be hidden. We need to administer grace unto the hearer. People ought to leave your conversation better than the way they came. Verse number 30, and I'm finished. The Bible says this, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Since the day I got saved, the Holy Spirit is my constant companion. Guides me, directs me. He comforts me. He encourages me. Many a time before a conversation, before a meeting, before a time of counseling, I say, Lord, I need your help. I'll never forget, I was just a young man in the ministry. I was a youth pastor in Philadelphia, and one of the moms in her youth group called. It was 1.30 in the morning, and she said, my son is wanting to commit suicide. I need to bring him over to your house. I want you to talk with him. I want you to pray with him. 21, 22 years old, I've never had a 1.30 phone call before, let alone somebody that wants to take their life. I said to her, I'll be waiting. I hung up the phone. I got down on my face in my living room there, and I said, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm nothing. I'm empty. I said, I need your help. I made it a practice for these many years later, every time somebody wants to speak to me, every time there's an appointment, I get down on my face and say, God, I don't know what to do. They don't need me, they need you. And I need your Holy Spirit to help me. I need your Holy Spirit to give me the words to say. I need your Holy Spirit to give me the thoughts, direct my heart. I remember the first time I ever preached preached in, the, in a nursing home and I look at that message, that outline, I kept that, I keep that outline, I still have it, it was like on a half piece of paper. I look back at that now and I think to myself, what in the world was that? How did that help anybody? I have that same feeling every week I look at my outline. But I remember sitting in that car of the person that drove me to that nursing home and I remember sitting in that car saying, God, I'm gonna go speak to people, I don't know what to say. And all these years later, I sit in my office this morning. I sat in my office before I walked across the parking lot, and I said, God, there's people here that need help, and I don't know what to say. I need the Holy Spirit. 
need him to speak through me. I need him to direct me. I need him to tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you this, as a Christian, I don't know what I'd do without the Holy Spirit of God. I remember getting married to Michelle and I said to myself, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Woke up that next morning after our first night of our honeymoon. We got there really, really late and I woke up that next morning and I looked at my wife and there she was. Toilet paper sticking out of her ears. I said, what just happened? Little did I know all night long she's saying the same thing because I'm snoring. What did I do? That toilet paper was supposed to keep me from, from her hearing my snoring. I remember looking and saying, Lord, I got to feed her. I got to keep a job. She was going to want gas in her car. Her dad's not going to gas her car up anymore. How am I going to do this? Holy Spirit, I need your help. I remember when that first child came into this world and I held Jacob. And they said, he's yours, you gotta name him. He's yours, you gotta take him home. I mean, I, I, honestly, I didn't even know how to put a diaper on. I didn't know, I, I didn't, I, I'm burping the wrong side. I'm, I mean, I didn't know what to do. From that first day, I said, God, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. And for all these years, I've said, Holy Spirit of God, I don't want to grieve you. I need your help. My son comes to me. He says, God, I, I, want, I want your advice. I, I want to make some decisions about my life and my future. I remember all the way back, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this baby but I know you do, and so I'll yield to you. I'll listen to you. I'll obey you. And all those years later, 17 years later, my son and I kneel, and we say, God, we don't know what he needs to do, but we know you do. I'm not holding him like this anymore. I'm, I've got my arm around him. He's going to make some decisions. And just like 17 years ago and all along the way, you've told us and you've directed us and you've guided us. We're going to do the same thing now. It was two and a half years ago, I kneeled and often and said, Lord, I don't know what I need to do here. I like Georgia. Especially like it when it's winter up here. But if you want me to go to Monclova, I'll go. But I can't figure this out. I need to hear from your spirit. Why would we spend our lives grieving? the Holy Spirit in our life when we need him. 
convinced this, many Christians live their life day after day, month after month, year after year, never yielding to the Spirit of God. I'll say to someone, just let the Holy Spirit guide you, and they'll look at me like, what does that mean? What do you mean? I mean, what does that sound like? Paul says, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you give place to Satan. I don't want to live my life here and what Satan has to say. Because he's the father of all lies. He's deceitful. I can trust 100% sure everything the Holy Spirit of God says is right. And I can trust 100% sure that everything that Satan says is deceitful and a lie. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to allow voice when you grieve the Spirit of God? You allow the Satan, the enemy of God, an open door. And when he comes in, he's not satisfied with just an eyeball, with just a squeaker. He eats the stuffing out of you until you're not even recognizable.